It is great to join you all today. And I just wanted to start by sharing that Don and I, we have a hibiscus plant out on our balcony. <laughs> and we've managed to not kill it yet. It's the only surviving plant that we have left. I mean, most every other plant we have or had ends up in the compost heap. And it's just, you know, we like the hibiscus, one, because it, you know, is still living. Uh, and two, because it has these really cool flowers. That, you know, you, I'm sure you've seen hibiscus flowers. They're really big and beautiful. And we just love it. But there's one thing that I noticed about this plant. It goes through a season of rest, a season of preparation, a season of growth, a season of flowering, and a season for pruning. Believe it or not, there was a wise man back in the Old Testament named Solomon who wrote Ecclesiastes, and he recognized these seasons. In Ecclesiastes 3, verse 17, he says, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every purpose and every work. And that's where we find ourselves today, in our new season of continuing our study in Revelation. And today's lesson is called the season of pruning. And to recap where we've been and, and where we, you know, what got us to today, we saw in chapters two and three, we saw a time of kind of preparation. Um, you know, it was kind of a, a time of preparation and growth for both, <clears throat> or not both, but all the churches, really. Um, and then again, in chapters four and five, we learned about the season of flowering where we see God and the Lamb come on the scene and they're worshipped for what we just sang about, their holiness and for who they really are. Today, we're going to learn about chapter 6, where the season of pruning will begin known as judgments. We'll learn about horsemen, we'll learn about martyrs, and we'll also learn about hiding from God. But before we do so, let's pray. Holy God, I just come to you now asking for your spirit to fall on each one of us. Open our hearts, Lord. Let us hear your voice, your message in this text that you've prepared for us. God, we pray that as we listen today, we will draw closer to you. And I just pray all this in Jesus' name. But to start off, I want to I want us to consider a verse that's totally out of Revelation for a moment. We find it in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 20. Peter says, "Knowing first that no prophecy of scripture is of private interpretation." What that tells us is that every prophecy we find in the Bible fits in to the system of prophecy that we find throughout the Bible. It's not individual it's a whole thing, and it fits with all the other prophecies. And today we begin with the opening of the judgments and the seals, and we this is going to continue through chapter 18. It's a long journey through judgment. Um, but we, we see something that starts today that's, that we call the tribulation. It's also known as the 70th week of Daniel. 
And it's that seven-year period where we start to see these events unfold and open up. Believe it or not, Jesus actually taught about the end times. You can see that in Matthew 24 and 25. You can see it in Mark 13. And then again in Luke chapter 21. It's called the Olivet Discourse. Jesus mentions an event that occurs in the middle of this 70th week of Daniel. And we find that in Matthew 24, verse 15, when he says, When, therefore, you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of, of through Daniel, the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So what is this abomination of desolation? If we turn to Daniel 9, verse 27, we see this. He shall make a firm covenant with many for one week, and in the middle of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the offering to cease. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate, and even to the full end, and that determined, shall wrath be poured out on the desolate. The he in this verse refers to the prince who is to come also known as the Antichrist. Jesus tells us again back in Matthew 24, verse 8, all these things are the beginning of what Elaine will experience soon. <laughs> Birth pangs. But all of this sets the stage and it sets everything in place for what we open up to today in Revelation 6. So let's look at verses 1 and 2. It says, I saw that the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, Come and see. Then a white horse appeared, and who sat on it had a bow. A crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. There are really two interpretations of this verse. The first one believes that this rider is the Jewish Messiah that we will later see in Revelation 19. Others believe that this rider is an imposter of Christ, also known as the Antichrist. I hold this view because I look in Revelation and every time we see Jesus, what do we see with it? He's referred to by a name. He's referred to as the Lamb. He's referred to as the Word of God or as Jesus the Christ. Those identifiers aren't here in this first section. This writer that we find in verses 1 and 2, he has a bow, but what's missing? Arrows. He has no arrows. And so this alludes to us believing that this will be a time of counterfeit peace. This writer has been given a crown and he sets out to conquer, not to rule. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to do a spoiler alert just in case. So if you don't want to hear the end of the story right now, then close your ears. But the victories of this rider and the other riders that we will see today, they're only temporary. Because ultimately Jesus comes back and he is the ultimate victor. So, should I go on? Okay. But we see also Jesus refer to this 
in Matthew 24, verse 5, verses 4 and 5. And he says, Be careful that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will lead many astray. Next we'll see in verses 3 and 4. We see, When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come, another came out, a red horse. To him who sat on it was given power to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. There was given to him a great sword. So we see this writer bringing a great sword, which means he's going to bring war, and he's going to bring bloodshed upon the earth. It appears that this writer is going to produce confusion, strife, and perhaps civil wars, referred to as the slaying of one another. That's all going to disrupt the first writer's counterfeit peace. Matthew 24, verse 6a. Jesus says, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you aren't troubled. For all this must happen, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Keep going on and we see the, the third seal that's broken. And it's verse 5 and 6. And it says, When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come and see, and behold a black horse. And he who sat on it had a balance in his hand. I heard a voice in the middle of the four living creatures saying, A coinex of wheat for a denarius, and three coinex of barley for a denarius. Don't damage the oil and the wine. Famine, hunger, and starvation always follow war. This writer brings poverty, he brings famine or starvation, and we see in his hand a balance or, or some scales for weighing the wheat and the barley and other food items. It tells us that there's going to be a time of inflation, there's going to be a time of food shortages, and there's going to be conditions of famine and starvation that this world has never seen. It will be worldwide. In case you're wondering, a coinex equals about a quart or a liter. A denarius is a day's wage. So that means it's going to require a full day's work to buy only about 500 grams of flour. And what does Jesus say about this back in Matthew 24, 6? And there will be famines and plagues. Moving on to verses 7 and 8. <clears throat> we see, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. And behold, a pale horse, and the name of he who sat on it was Death. Hades followed with him, authority over one-fourth of the earth, to kill with the sword, with famine, with death, and by the wild animals of the earth was given to him. In the midst of the war and the famine that's already going on, you're going to see this happen, and it's just going to multiply. People will fall prey to epidemics and wild animals. This death, though, is more than just a physical death. <clears throat> because we know sin and death enter the world at the same time through Adam and Eve. Spiritual death is when it separates our rebellious spirit from God. Eternal death is also present, and that's what separates us from God unless we are redeemed. In all of this, 
Jesus is still the head of a new creation. He's the only one who can give life and is responsible for life and eternity. These four horsemen reveal God's plan for pruning. It's a season where our world will experience disruption, disunity, and despair. How many of you have heard the question, can't we all just get along? It's a valid question, it really is. However, not one that will be achievable as long as there's evil still in our world. Throughout history, we've heard of wars and attacks, yet today human divisiveness and disunity is in full bloom. For almost the past two years, our world has been going through a pandemic, which has caused a huge rift between those who are vaccinated and those who are not vaccinated. There's an ongoing battle and struggle in, Tig it's called the Tigray battle. It's a war, actually. It's in Eth between Ethiopia and the Sudan Sudanese, and it's an ongoing civil war. So far, there's been about 50,000 Ethiopians that have died. We live in a world where evil exists, and something must be done. When we look at Revelation, or when I look at Revelation, I don't see a place where all of a sudden <clears throat> all of mankind says, oh, yeah, let's follow Jesus. Let's repent, turn, and go. That, just, that doesn't happen. I mean, it, it's sad that it doesn't happen because if it were true that people would repent and turn and go to Jesus, then Revelation, no. These horsemen wouldn't have a lot to do. But we know that God is the creator of our universe and the creator of everything. And he's also a supreme planner. He knew that Adam and Eve would sin. And what did he do? He's, his plan included the redemption of sin. And it's only found in, Savior, in our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's only found in the blood that was spilled, that was shed for you and I. When God sent Jesus to this earth, he knew then also that not everyone would accept him. But he had another plan yet. It was still to redeem people during a struggle, during this seven-year period. There is still time to follow Jesus. But we as believers, we have a job to do right now today as well as in the future. And it's to share the gospel message. I mean, we're not always promised, though, that our time here on this planet is going to be easy or a piece of cake because there are going to be martyrs. If we read in Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11, we read about martyrs. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been killed for the word of God and for the testimony of the Lamb which they had. They cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, Master, the holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? A long white robe was given to each of them. They were told that they should rest yet for a while until their fellow servants and their brothers, who would also be killed, even as they were, should complete their course. So we see here John 
picturing an altar and the souls of the people who have died for their faith in God and their testimony of Jesus. Each martyr receives a white robe. And what, is they, what, is it, what are they told? They're told, be patient, wait. Because there's going to be more people that are martyred for their faith, just like you were. These white robes represent salvation and eternal life. Billy Graham, in his book, Approaching Hoofbeats, wrote this. We do know from this wonderful vision of John what we believers must do in the meantime. Those who have died in Christ must patiently wait for that day. Those of us still alive in Christ must continue working as God's allies in the salvation of the lost and social justice. Did you know this year the number of Christian martyrs has increased from 4,305 to 4,761? Even in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, evil and persecution does not stop. Worldwide, over 340 million, 340,000 Christians live in places where they experience high levels of persecution just for following Jesus. Every day, 13 Christians worldwide are killed because of their faith. 12 churches or Christian buildings are attacked. 12 Christians every day are unjustly arrested or imprisoned. And another five Christians are abducted. It takes faith. It takes conviction. It takes true bona fide belief to go through this kind of suffering. Yet in our text today, we see that persecution and the murders will increase. But we do know that God does make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert, as we're told in Isaiah 43. And he makes our way for us so that his plan will then be fulfilled. Rest assured, though, that when this number of martyrs hitch, hits God's plan, then he at that time will invoke his plan and the world we know will forever be changed. We look in verses 12 through 17. We see it says, I saw when he opened the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth, made of hair and the whole moon became as a blood. The stars of the sky fell to the earth like a fig tree dropping its unripe figs when it is shaken by a great wind. The sky was removed like a scroll when it was rolled up. Every mountain and island was moved out of its place. The kings of the earth, the princes, the commanding officers, the rich, the strong, and every free or every slave and free person hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. They told the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? This seal takes us back to earth, where John sees this, this great earthquake. Guess what? We see in Matthew 24, 7, Jesus says, earthquakes in various places. When you think about it, the wrath of the Lamb it's kind of a bizarre phrase. 
you ever seen a sign that says, beware of the lamb? I don't think so. But we do know this lamb is referring to Christ, who was slain from the foundation of the world. We know Christ is a gentle, meek, humble, serving person while he walked here on this earth. I mean, he even washed the feet of the disciples. And now we see the wrath of the Lamb. I mean, it's to me, wrath is a very interesting thing, especially when we consider God or when we think about how it describes God. I mean, we know God loves the good and he hates evil, right? But his hate is not like our hate. He's not vindictive, but he's righteous and holy. And at this point, he is declaring war on sin. Think about that. Sin that started all the way back at Adam and Eve. He, at this point, declares war on sin. The wrath of the Lamb is like mixing fire and water. But we do see God's wrath revealed in the Lamb who opens up these seals. The fear of the people who have lived through the previous judgments or tribulation. Think, uh, read it. I mean, they, they want to be crushed by these rocks rather than to face the judgment or the wrath of the Lamb that they try to hide. When you think about it, hiding from God, well, it's kind of a crazy idea. But when we act it out, it becomes even crazier, right? Consider Genesis 3, verse 8. They heard Yahweh God's voice walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife, what did they do? They hid themselves from the presence of Yahweh God among the trees of the garden. We all know how this, this behavior was handled. We know that God himself made the first sacrifice to cover Adam and Eve since they fell to the temptation of sin and went against the only command that God had given them, and that was do not eat from the tree, because in that day that you do, you die. They chose death. Have you ever noticed, maybe when uh, maybe you've transgressed or not really been a good friend to someone. Um, maybe you've wronged them somehow. You don't want to be around them, right? Why? Because it's uncomfortable. You, you In your mind, you're playing out all these things that, are, that oh my gosh, what if they find out, you know? Or, or why could I do this to this person? Maybe I'm the only one. Has anybody else ever experienced that? Okay, good. Just just checking. But I mean that that guilt that we have. I mean it's it is crazy. But now, have you ever felt that way to God? Have you ever done something that you perceived as so bad and so wrong against God? that you were like hiding from God wherever you could. Well, I have bad news for you. Hebrews 4 verse 13 says, 
There is no creature that is hidden from his sight, but all things that are naked and laid upon open, sorry, laid open before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So why do we try to hide from God? We are believers. We've been covered by the precious blood of the Lamb. We have been given a choice, choice, life, that is called eternal life. It doesn't get better than that. I mean, if you're here today and you're trying to hide from God or you have tried to hide from God, stop. Don't do it. He's going to see you. Because if you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior, then you are covered for all your sins, past, present, future. All you need to do is confess and repent. And that relationship is restored. All because the Lamb of God came to earth, was sacrificed, crucified, rose again on the third day, just for you. That's the same lamb these people are trying to hide from here. But we know the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world provides redemption of sins. He provides a way and a new life. Each one of us are born again into this new life. And it's because of him that he came here to redeem you. So in conclusion today, we learned about horsemen. These four horsemen reveal a season where our God will experience disruption, or no, our world will experience disruption, disunity, and despair. We learned about martyrs, where God makes a way in the wilderness, and he makes rivers in the desert for all of us just to fulfill his plan. And we learned about hiding from God and how pointless it is. Because if you are here trying to hide, don't. Stop. Because Jesus has given you a new life. He's given you a new way to live. Jesus is the one who is found worthy to open these seals, and he begins the season of pruning, as we see in Revelation 